From the University of Bristol, you are listening to Research Frontiers. Hello, and welcome to Research Frontiers, a podcast series from the University of Bristol. I'm your host, Ruby Lotlavinia, and throughout this series, I'll be joined by a collection of Bristol's thought leaders, taking a deep dive into the research at the university, which is changing the world and enriching the education of students who study here. Our contributors will include some of the university's most inspiring minds and the students who learn from them. Throughout these conversations, we'll uncover the transformative power of research, both on our society and in solving global challenges, as well as in the future education of students. In this episode, our focus will be fixed on the environment, specifically urbanization, with a look at some research in the field and a perfect opportunity to get better acquainted with our very special guest, Dr. Felix Ajaman. Also joining us on this episode is Stephen Pearson, who is studying for a master's in climate change science and policy. Welcome to you both. To kick things off on this episode, Felix, it would be great to know what the overarching aims of your research are before we take a deep dive into the projects you're working on. Um, thank you, Ruby. The overarching aim, really, is to improve urban living conditions. So my primary interest is in cities, more so developing cities in the global south, but they're the ones that are, that are projected to absorb majority of the urbanization that would occur in the next few decades. Um, for instance, cities in Africa and Asia are accounted to absorb about 90% of the urbanization, the urban population that is expected. And just to put in context, um, the UN projects that there will be additional 2.5 billion people expected between now and 2050, and 90% of that will occur in the global south, either in Africa or Asia. And that is huge. In Africa alone, um, the cities in Africa would absorb extra 1 billion, about 1 billion people in the next three decades or so. And that is huge. And based on that, um, my overarching aim is to deep in understanding of the evolution processes of cities in the global south and help improve urban living conditions by developing decision-making support tools that will guide effective planning and allocation of resources in cities. How did you become interested in this subject area and what does your research cover? My interest is in cities in the global south, particularly how they evolve over time and space and how with that understanding and together with urban modeling techniques and machine learning, we can build tools to support urban decision making. Now, how did I become interested in this, in this area of research? A lot of it has to do with where I grew up and also my education. So I grew up in two settlements in the middle part of Ghana that are starkly different in terms of size and complexity. The first settlement was a rural um, town, very small, tiny, I would say, exposed, I think, had a population of less than 2,000. Then I moved to Kumasi, which is the second capital of Ghana, with more than 2 million people. Now, I felt that the city, Kumasi, was more chaotic, overcrowded, polluted, and hence, I always had that the feeling that I wanted to contribute in some ways to solving um, these these problems. That's fascinating. Uh, and Stephen, how about you? What brought you to this course? Have you always been interested in this area? I've always had an interest. Funnily enough, a couple of years ago, I found like a wee thing that I'd done when I was about eight years old in primary school. And it was like, what do you want to do when you're older? And it said, Global like, urbanization. Uh, I'd like to be a green architect. And I'm like, I don't really know what that is, to be fair. I don't know if there's enough broccoli in the world to turn you into a green architect. But still, it was a nice idea, a nice wee thought from wee eight-year-old me. 
but I went in to do physics at my undergrad. So clearly there was a wee cognitive break there between a green architect and a physicist. But anyway, after my undergrad, took a year out and just realised that physics, it's a really big interest of mine, but not so much a passion. And that actually, going back to the, the wee child that was in me back then, he probably knew me better than I did at the age of 22. So I was like, okay, the environment is what I'm interested in. So I kind of wanted to link physics with policy and actually making a difference kind of thing. And the course down here seemed pretty good for that because it was a nice link between like quite physical science and the climate. So in terms of urban development, I'd say that my involvement is it's more advising people who are involved in urban development. So always had an interest, yeah, but I don't think the trajectory has always been in that direction, if that makes sense. Um, well, that's very sweet that you've been inspired by your, your younger self. I know, I'm sure uh, you're doing this. <laughs> Felix, you, you spent time focusing on a specific part of the world with your work in sub-Saharan Africa. Can you tell us how it's illuminated your research? After my master's degree, I went back to Ghana, worked for a couple of years um, on a project that sort of developed a national spatial development framework for Ghana. It's like a, it's like a plan, basically, a master plan for Ghana. And on that project, I had the opportunity of traveling across the length and breadth of the country, especially the major cities, and also had the opportunity of traveling outside Ghana to other major cities in Africa, like Lagos, Nigeria, um, Wakadugu in Burkina Faso, and then Johannesburg, South Africa. And what I realized um, from, from these um, travels and experiencing of, of, of these cities is that these cities and many more across sub-Saharan Africa are different in many ways, for instance, culturally, but they also share lots of common urbanization challenges, such as urban informality, um, chaos, pollution, high commuting times, um, overcrowding, and that further heightened you know, my interest in this area, the area of focusing on cities and solving these urban development challenges, since I realized that actually it's not just a phenomenon of Ghana, but also many, many, many cities across um, Sub-Saharan Africa. Okay. And your current work is involved with urban data collection, connecting findings with policymaking in developing countries. What's the process involved with collecting data in another country and how do the processes differ depending on what you're focusing on? So pre-COVID, uh, myself alongside Dr. Sean Fox and Dr. Levi Wolf, both at the University of Bristol, School of Tropical Sciences, and research partners in Pakistan who experimented an idea of developing a low-cost survey tool that you could use to rapidly generate population data. And the idea was we use just 10 to 15 minute conduct rapid survey and then we use machine learning techniques to actually generate data that goes beyond what we've actually collected based on the relationships that the machine will learn from the data we've collected. However, COVID struck. So that's that strand of research, you know, evolved to a research where now I'm focusing um, and have developed my deep learning. Deep learning is basically machine learning, um, CNN convolutional neural network that detects poverty and um, block level poverty in Karachi. And then alongside I have another project that I'm working on with um, researchers from hydrology, Dr. Jeffrey Neal and um, Lawrence Hawker, and, and then also researchers from economics, um, Janos, and alongside partners from Vietnam, focusing on understanding future past and present flood risk in the central highlands of Vietnam. 
So you're based in Bristol now, from Ghana to, to Bristol. Yeah. Um, do you feel Bristol has an effect on your response to data or your outlook on data collected from other countries? Yes, it has. It has influenced our data, and particularly University of Bristol. University of Bristol is a leader when it comes to when it comes to research, and more so research ethics and data protection standards. And it has impacted me positively with regards to how I collect data and process data and be more thoughtful about the privacy of um, the households and the standards of, of the University of Bristol has been very, very, very impactful. And in terms of the applicability of my research um, to my immediate surroundings, I have plans, that, and I'll talk about my, my model at some point, um, which is the TICT model. Um, now it's been developed for African cities, um, but I have plans to generalize that to, to other cities in the world globally, and one of the test cities or the case study cities in that global scaling up of the model would be Bristol. Right. And Stephen, what made Bristol the choice for you? I think the main reason that I came down here was um, I'd lived in Scotland all my life and I knew I wanted to stay somewhere else. And with the course, there really wasn't anywhere that offered a course quite as suited to me as Bristol. It was just such a good blend. The course is a mixture of really quantitative climate analysis, as well as quite social theoretical policy with politics and that sort of thing. And thought it would be a good opportunity to kind of mix the two and see where the overlaps lie. And also, I mean, you'd be mad not to think Bristol seems a cool city. I'd never visited before. And um, literally the first day of my course was the first day I'd set foot in the city. I've heard so many nice things like, yeah, it's been a lovely place to fit in. Great. And could you tell us a little bit about your own studies? Has Felix's work resonated with you in any way through your time at Bristol and kind of what brought you to the area of climate change, science and policy? Felix's work all generally resonates with me, of course, because it's related to development, which is so closely tied um, with climate change, especially in the global south. And um, particularly your work, Felix, on risk management. I've done quite a lot of work with precipitation and flooding and with flood risk. To be honest, I think my generation in particular, I think it's almost ubiquitous across the board. We all have an understanding that climate change is a big problem. And throughout my undergrad, I really got involved. I dabbled in a wee bit of activism. I was always um, interested in environmental stuff. So it was always for me doing a master's was an opportunity to send my undergraduate degree in the direction that I'd want to work in moving forward. And working in quantitative climate change science was always going to be a good step for me. So that is how I've ended up here. Felix, I wanted to ask you about your TI city model or the informal city model and how this came to be. What does this involve and how did you develop it? Like, like I mentioned um, earlier on, I've always had interest growing up in wanting to, to solve the problems that I saw around me, which included high urban informality, you know, chaos, pollution, congestion. So doing my undergraduate in urban planning, master's also in planning, then my PhD also in, in planning, but PhD with urban modeling as the focus. So during my PhD, it was during my PhD that I started developing this model. And the aim was to develop a model that would predict the future locations or the locations of future residential development. So I developed it for my PhD and fine-tuned it at the University of Bristol um, with Dr. Sean Fox. 
Um, so what the model does is that it models the geospatial behavior of the key actors that are responsible for, for development in, in many global south cities, which are households, estate developers, and government. So it models how these three interact amongst themselves and also with space to predict the location, the legal status, and the income status of future residential development. And the aim is that if we know where future expansion is likely to occur, then it keeps policymakers and urban planners enough time to plan ahead. And how does it feel to sort of see your model rolled out in the place you grew up? It's amazing, I should, I should say, that uh, growing up, the problems that I felt I could contribute to, to solving, I'm at a point where I've, I've developed a model and the model is being applied to those problems. It's really a privilege and I feel proud, I should say. And thinking about your kind of research and motivations, do you feel hopeful? It's a good question. Um, I, I, feel, I feel hopeful that progress will be made in terms of urbanization research focused on the global south, how policymakers and urban practitioners um, apply the output of the research and the models that we develop um, is where I think um, a lot more a lot more work um, needs to be done to really change the current pattern because the pattern has hasn't been great really. There seems to be um, a big gap between research and practice really, especially in sub-Saharan Africa. More work has to be done to really make the output of our research more beneficial to the people for which the research is meant for. Is there a country that you've looked at that you think is doing this really well? <laughs> I mean, generally, developed countries, and largely in the West, tend to place a lot of emphasis on, on research and also the implementation. The UK, for instance, if you look at the 2010 reforms in the planning system that took place by the then um, coalition government, um, I mean, there were a lot of outcry about the scraping of, for instance, the original tier of planning. But what you couldn't take away was the fact that that was based on a commissioned work, for instance, Kate Baker's report, which of course you could argue with the findings, but you could, you could see that an approach that policymakers are taking was based on, you know, some form of research that had been commissioned. And that generally doesn't happen um, in, in many developing countries. Well, hopefully with your research, that can be an achievable future. Okay, and now in this part, we're going to give Stephen like a little uh, a little gift. Um, since we're on the subject, is there any advice or information that you feel could benefit Stephen at this point in his course? Yeah, um, <laughs> I'll say I'll say that Stephen, you are you are in the right school or the right department when it comes to um, climate change science and policy. I mean, as you are aware, um, the School of Geographical Sciences has always been topping the research, the UK research excellence framework um, since since it was initiated. So you've got a lot of resources to tap from, a lot of experts in the field of, of hydrology that you can always talk to and speak with. And I think that is a useful um, opportunity that you should you should capitalize on or trust makes possible to, to actually make use of. Thank you. I appreciate that. Christmas has come early. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and Stephen, do you have any words for prospective students about your time studying at Bristol on your particular course? Yeah, I think the main thing would be 
just speak to people like when you've got folks like Felix around the department like there's such great experts in the field like speak with them my tutor is Rachel James and she's a global expert again in modeling of precipitation events weather events these sorts of things and but there's also the Cabot Institute at Bristol which there are loads of opportunities there in terms of environmental research there's a lot of academic contacts with the Met Office I'm doing my dissertation with the Met Office uh, which will be really exciting. I'm going to go down to Exeter for um, a few weeks to work in their headquarters. And just things like that, if you speak with people and make the most of your time here, it's such a great opportunity to speak with some of the um, leading researchers in what is one of the most exciting fields in science at the minute. And looking to the future a bit, where do you imagine your own studies and research will lead you? I should probably say, who knows? I've no idea. Working for an organisation like that moving forward would be something I'd be interested in. At the moment, I would like to do a PhD at some point, um, but I'm already kind of resigned to the fact that I don't know what I want that to be yet. So I'll definitely take a couple of years working in industry or research to kind of get a better idea of um, what specific direction, because it is a big commitment. Felix, let's talk about your future. You have a diverse range of research subjects. Are you steering it all in a certain direction or are you quite free in your overall journey? Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, I seem to have diverse interest, but the principal interest is with cities and cities that are cities in the global south. Because for me, I'm thinking of areas where I could, I could make the most impact. I feel the area where I can make, make most impact is in you know, developing cities, which, like I've stated, um, would account for most of the urbanization that will take place um, in the next few decades. And unlike developed cities largely in the West, urbanization hasn't necessarily occasioned well-being. Yes, in some parts of the global South, it has occasioned economic growth. And that is if you look at economic growth from the perspective of you know, GDP, and those um, macroeconomic indicators. However, if you look at growth in terms of the standard of living of people in their communities, the urbanization in Africa hasn't necessarily yielded a positive uh, outcome. I mean, it's been, it's been a missed bag. And if we don't pursue more research, that helps us deepen our understanding of how cities in sub-Saharan Africa and other parts in the global south um, evolve, then these problems are going to exacerbate because the, the 90% of the 2.5 billion urban population increase that is expected in the global south, I mean, in Asia and, and in Africa, would either contribute to urbanization of wealth or urbanization of poverty. And I feel that if we can develop decision-making, decision support systems like, like my model um, to guide decision-making in these parts of the world, we are more likely to achieve urbanization of wealth, urbanization of um, improved standard of living, as opposed to urbanization of poverty and urbanization of environmental degradation, pollution, or the attendant negative um, externalities. We'll end on that optimistic note that an improved standard of living is possible if the right support system and models are in place when it comes to the urbanization of the global south. Felix, Stephen, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much, Ruby. Thank you for having us. Thank you for listening to Research Frontiers from Bristol University. We hope you found inspiration, information, answers and more in all of these great conversations. Don't forget to check in over at www.bristol.ac.uk forward slash study forward slash postgraduate for more details on Bristol courses and information about Bristol University. Also, 
keep the podcast nearby. Subscribe to Research Frontiers wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And please do share with people who might benefit too. Thank you for listening to Research Frontiers. Thank you.